All right. What is up, Fahim? What's up? What's up? All right. I got Fahim Kamal on. Fahim has been one of my longer friends. I've had him, or I've knew, I've knew him <laughs> since fourth grade, which is actually pretty cool. Uh, I'm very excited to have you on. I think you're a pretty smart, intelligent person. I think we have some interesting conversations. Mm-hmm. So thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. So first, uh, I was thinking we could talk about your recent, you know, congratulations. You got yep. into USC or transferring this year. How do you feel? Good. I mean, it's been a long time coming. Started in February. Now it's July. So the experience has been like super long. Um, but yeah, I'm super happy. I'm excited to be a part of the Trojan community. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? Fight on. <laughs> yeah, fight on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm just excited. I'm excited for the classes, um, new people, clubs. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's exciting. So you said you started in February. So is that like when you started the application or turned it in? Turned it in in February. Okay. So what was it like? Like, did you know when you were going to find out? And what was it like waiting all that time? Yeah. So I got baited, basically. Baited? Yeah. So on their website, officially, they stated like, People usually hear around March, April. Um, that didn't happen for me. <laughs> um, I think they just had delays. Like transfers aren't usually, um, they're not prioritized. Oh, like do you think they're dealing with all the undergraduate, like freshmen? Oh, gotcha. And so, yeah, it just got pushed back, which um, you know sucks for me now as I'm like trying to get into classes quick. Yeah. But... Um, but I'm excited to be there anyway. Damn, yeah. oh, that's pretty cool. So, how, so you found out like early July? Yeah, early July, first week of July. So like kind of what you just said, since early July, you've kind of been rushing to do all the mm-hmm. preparation. How's that been going? So housing is like the <laughs> most stressful thing ever I've learned <laughs> because a lot of these like agents, like I didn't know this before, but they're like leasing companies, like companies that you like talk to. Um, so the one that I'm not going to, I don't want to say which one. I just, <laughs> yeah. You know, you never no, know. Yeah. Smart, smart thing. Yeah, but um, I don't want to be mean, but it's like, it just feels like sometimes they're not like, you know, prioritizing talking to you because you're not there in LA. Like usually people uh-huh. tour the place and ask someone out of state and I'm not going to LA before seeing the place. Um, it just felt like people weren't just like getting back to me as quick as they could. Do you think it's because they just think you're less likely to buy? That's probably, like, a part of it. I would say another part of it is just, like, um, it's, like, later. So they have, like, less. Uh, so it's just, like, they're, they're already, like, have plans for other people. Yeah. So it's hard to get a place. Is it weird getting housing, like, not being there before? Um, a lot of them had virtual tours. Uh-huh. So they Smart. had, like a, um, like, a 3D map of the place. And I could, like, go on my phone and toggle through it. And I was able to see all the rooms. I was basically able to see what it would be like. What's so, your like, place like? It's huge. It's a compound. What's a compound? Well, oh, is that, like, when it's, like, ten people in one room or something? Or one, like, long building? It's a huge building. There's, like, 21 rooms. and it's, What? Yeah. I refer to it as a compound. They probably wouldn't, but... Holy um, shit, 21 rooms? Yeah, so, like, um, basically, you're leasing a room... And, like, there's, like, co-areas. Oh, so is it... Do you, would it be, like, similar to dorms, kind of? Yeah, I think so. But do you have a campus. roommate? No, I don't... It's a private room. So each room is private and it has its own bathroom. Damn. That's uh, actually pretty good. It's a little far. That's why I think, uh, like, okay. for, like, 
to balance out the prices. But wait, so how does it feel? So did you want a roommate? Um, if I was gonna live on campus, I probably would have wanted a roommate. Um, but no, I feel like it would be so hard to figure that out beforehand. Oh, I see. I see. Because like I don't know anyone there. That yeah. Would, that yeah. Makes, well, when I when I first came out there was like options to kind of try to meet people online before mm-hmm. to like find a roommate you would like but i kind of i don't know, i didn't want to do that so i just did random <laughs> and i got really lucky because me and my roommate were pretty similar uh-huh. i had like similar like interest. humors interests kind of stuff like that but like i saw other people's roommates <laughs> and, and like not that any of them are bad but i could just imagine me not like not, messing with yeah them, not yeah. messing with them nearly as much so um yeah yeah, I, like some of the places do have options where they'll pair you with a roommate. Um, but no, we just kind of look for private just because I think having a roommate's easier when it's like a student. Like, yeah. Like, I know they would have been students either way, but like if it's Is the whole the compound students? Yeah, yeah. For like it's, USC specifically? Uh, it's all okay, USC students. It'd be weird if it was like a middle aged man next. Not that yeah. that's wrong. It would be weird. It would be a little weird. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm glad you finally found housing. Mm-hmm. When did you seal the deal? Um, I want to say it was this weekend. We oh, finally wow. signed the lease. Damn. Do you know when you're heading over there? Like what? Um, August 13th. It's pretty early. Yeah. I mean, I just want to be there like a week earlier. Oh wow. Okay. Okay. That's when the lease starts either way. So do you have? Is the lease? Because I. I've been doing campus housing, so mm-hmm. it's fair. It's just for the semesters. Does yours it's for last 12 for the months, summer? Yeah, twelve months. So what do you do? do, you, do you, are you so, planning on staying there during the summer, or do you co-lease it or something? There are a couple options. Yeah, I could stay there in the summer and like just be in LA for the summer, which it's not a bad option. Yeah, but I could also sublease it if I wanted to. Interesting. Which would, um, I mean, I feel like that's already a hassle trying to find a yeah. sublease. But um, it seems like for off-campus housing, twelve-month leases are pretty much what you get that makes sense damn well I, I feel like later years like sophomore junior it's unless you're going out of state for some type of like in, in our majors like research or mm-hmm. internships i feel like most people would are more likely to stay during the summer yeah that's what i would think because they usually would have something going on near their college you know mm-hmm. what I mean? but uh how do you feel knowing that you're going to be far away from home for like a long-term period um i was a little anxious like last week or really yeah no just like not even just like missing home just like you know what if it's not exactly like it was what if it's not safe at night like i don't know these things you know um i didn't even think about the safety bro is it safe in the neighborhoods like i think so they usually well the campus is hella safe i know that doesn't really apply but the campus is really safe and then i don't know how far your place is but like a certain radius around the campus they'll usually have guards like on street corners to watch out Mm -hmm. because like that's where a lot of students live Mm -hmm. so it feels pretty safe so i wouldn't worry too i think a lot of like every few days though we'll get an email from the department of like police and security it's like attempted robbery attempted stabbing blah blah blah. stabbing you just ignore it you know you delete the email yeah you ignore (laughs) it it. when he comes up to me i can't ignore it it's actually it's actually pretty funny there was one time me and my roommate it was like 4 Uh a.m we were sleeping in our dorm i might have told you the story already but i i wake up to like my roommate messing with my blanket right it's like 4 a.m and i can barely see him i'm thinking like what is he doing bro so i'm like brian and then i turn my flashlight on and it's not my roommate. It's a random guy in his underwear. So, what my, you do? I, I don't. Well, <laughs> so, so my roommate wakes up. 
And he's like, yo, I'm, I'm not going to say his name, but he's like, let's say it's like Harold. He's like, yo, I'm Harold. And we're like, oh. Wait, the, the, the guy underwear was, guy? The underwear guy, okay. yeah. And then he was, what did he say? He said, yeah, I'm just going to crash here for tonight. We, we were pretty sure he was drunk, right? Okay. Something like that. So we eventually kick him out. And he said he was going to go to these other, the, other, the other elevator. And okay. the other elevator is all the girls' floors. Oh, so no. we started getting worried. <laughs> so we decided to go downstairs and tell the guys. And then like DPS came and tried to search and stuff. They oh never gosh. found him, but it was the funniest thing is later Wait, they didn't find the guy. They didn't. He was like a student. He was like a student aged guy though. So oh, okay, so he's not like a random old. It guy. wasn't like a random <laughs> old guy. No, context no. important. Yeah, yeah. Like, luckily, it wasn't a random old guy. But a few days later, I'm walking back to the elevator and I look in the lounge and I see someone studying. I'm like, that looks a lot like the Herald guy. So I go tell my roommate. He comes downstairs. Yeah. And we go talk to him. It's like, hey, did you happen to be in this room at 4 a.m. that night? He's like. Yo, I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs> and he told us a story about how him and his friends like drink a whole bottle of Hennessy, oh and then he God. got messed up. Not the Henny. Yeah. So it was a really funny story, and we weren't we weren't entirely sure, but there were like weird stains on our ground afterwards. Oh, and like we. Wait, my room. So, okay, so I'm confused. With it. I need to clear something. Yeah, up. yeah. How do you get into your room? Oh, oh, this this is entirely by fault. So it costs two hundred dollars to replace your keys, right? Okay. And at the beginning of the semester. I lost my keys and I was thinking I could buy another pair of keys, Mm -hmm. but then it's the beginning of the semester and I feel like I would lose them again and Mm -hmm. then pay another $200. So we just left the door unlocked. We started locking the door after that and just putting my roommate's key on. So it was my (laughs) fault. Hopefully I won't lose my keys this next year. Yeah. Did you like talk to this guy after or after that? Never seen him. He was, he was honestly pretty cool. He felt really bad about it. So Uh he was also pretty embarrassed. I would be imagine we like we think you might have peed on the floor. We're not sure. <laughs> we're not entirely sure, but I can just imagine you wake it up. You're like, what are you doing? <laughs> that was the funniest it? part because like we weren't really mad or angry at all because we were super tired. So uh-huh. we we're just like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? It was a third person. <laughs> it was wild. I thought this. I thought we had two roommates. What's going <laughs> yeah. on? Yeah. But yeah, so it's pretty safe as you lock your doors and stuff. Yeah. Is what I, basically what I'm getting. I mean, yeah. That just seems like a yeah. extra special circumstance. <laughs> yeah, extra stuff. Are you excited to like live on your own, like the impen- independence of it? Yeah, no, that's a big thing. That's like the reason why I want to transfer in the first place. Oh, I see. Well, like in addition to going to like a better school and like Let, Let's talk about transfer. How was like the transfer process and do you have any tips for anyone that's considering transferring schools? um yeah yeah so it kind of depends when like you should i would say you need to like look at whatever school you're transferring to and figure out the deadline for that stuff uh because for usc it was pretty late compared to other places usc's deadline was like february 18th which is like you know super late other places will be like december or even november so like you need to look at the school you're going to or you're applying to figure out the deadline for transfer and then the biggest thing is making sure you're taking the right classes so that they transfer. Uh, that makes sense. Because, like, um, they have these things called articulation agreements, um, which are just, um, like, what class at my school will be the same class at USC. Did you Were you able to take a writing class that's the equivalent? Yeah, the yeah. Oh, okay, see. Because Henry's thinking about... Yeah, I was actually talking to Henry. Yeah, he showed it. Yeah, it looked very helpful information. Yeah, so... Um, Getting that done is the biggest thing. Um, and, like, the biggest thing in terms of the essays <clears throat> is, like, you need to have a good reason why 
the school you're going to right now isn't like good enough for your needs. Gotcha. But you can't like you can't like the way you frame it is important. You can't just shit on your old school. Yeah. yeah, you have to um, talk in a way like how you overcame like whatever uh, you were lacking there, and how like USC or whatever school you go to is a better fit. Why wasn't UNLV fitting uh-huh. your needs? Well, I was just saying um, how I felt like a lot of my classes were like individual education based. Like there wasn't many opportunities <clears throat> for group projects. And even if there was, like, there were, like, the superficial online Zoom group oh, projects yeah. where everyone's just, like... Wait, real quick. How many of your classes were online during your um, first year? Half and half, I would say. Damn. They're split. That's good. Um, USC, yeah. for me, at least, I don't think I had any online classes. Besides one my first year. Uh-huh. Or semester. But... Yeah, I mean, I hope it's... Yeah. I, mean, I don't think any of them are going to be like that. Yeah. This well, I, I, was, I was asking because I feel like it could... Like, because you, you didn't live on campus, right? No, no. So there's there's already that, which kind of makes it harder to meet people at the school. Mm. And then on top of that, having half your classes online makes it even harder. I, yeah, I yeah, feel. No, that was, it was definitely difficult. And I didn't prioritize, like, any social life during first year because my plan was to leave um, either this upcoming or... Oh, so you were already, like, all good at transfer. Yeah, 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 that was the plan going in. Was USC the only one you applied for this time around? Yeah, but, um, so... Normally, like, I think normally people apply for two years or yeah. transfer after two years. So, like, my plan was going to be, like, all right, I'm going to try USC this year. If it doesn't work out, I'm just going to apply to more oh, my okay. second year. Well, that's um, awesome. But it worked that out. Worked so, out. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Okay. So, you transferred to USC. Do you have a game plan or, like, any strategy for how you want to, I don't know, just make your first year at USC good? Like social wise, class wise, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, I want to get the highest grades possible. Okay. So that's like one of my priorities, but also another priority is meeting people. So, um, I didn't do this as much um, at UNLV, but I think it's important to, especially in the first few like um, class sessions, to like just talk to the people around yeah. you, get their number, like start that conversation, start that dialogue. Because as classes, like, go on, you know, people are just in their own circles. So that's one of my plans. I feel like, just real quick on that, I feel like it's also such an easy way to talk to people. Because a lot of times the burden of, like, texting someone for the first time can feel a bit nerve-wracking. Because, like, oh, Mm -hmm. what do I say? But if it's someone in your class, you could easily just be like, hey, how do you do the homework? Yeah, did you do the homework? Uh And then maybe, like, one day you'll do homework together. And Mm -hmm. then you'll have a good laugh during that session. (laughs) You're like, hey, I don't want to just do homework with this guy. (laughs) And then, boom, you just made a friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's one way. But um, I also want to join some clubs. Like, I haven't looked into all the clubs, so I don't have specifics yet. But yeah. definitely joining clubs and uh, meeting people through that. That's that's what's up. Mm-hmm. Do you have any idea what type of club you want to join? Um, I know I want to join one type of, like, engineering club. Right. Just, like, building something. They got some good shit at UFC. Yeah, yeah. Like, engineering um, UNLV had this, like car like they make like a model car and they have a competition for it like oh, an actual yeah. car like like when a person can go in yeah yeah like what a, yeah, yeah not like toy not a toy car oh, wow. yeah okay um and those things are like kind of similar like those clubs are throughout most universities i know when i applied to um, uw they had a car that was like um like something similar called like the washington hyperloop whoa and That's a cool name. Like, you know how Elon Musk has the boring company? Yeah. I think uh, they make pods 
that like run on that similar Wait, what do you mean? like they make a pod that's what they call pod. it oh it's like their name of a car well it's cars. not a car i don't think it's a car i think it's like um something that would run on some type of hyperloop oh like, thing, okay yeah. okay oh that's it like yeah. the, that's like the train yeah, type yeah, thing, right? yeah yeah so i'm assuming usc also has that stuff but yeah i'm sure they do they got a lot of shelved into it yeah. i met the dude as well i worked at so the place i suggested for you to work at uh i was working there and this one guy he's a senior mm-hmm so he's gone now, unfortunately. But I was talking to, yeah, pretty sad. But he was a cool guy, uh-huh. and we were we had like many shifts together. And then one day we were just talking about um, where we're from, and he went to Green, or he went, <laughs> he went to our high school, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah that doesn't matter. <laughs> he went to our high school, and I thought it was, it was like such a small world. He he was in the IB program, really. Yeah, and he like knew our teachers. Yeah, and he also knew. I think he knew probably some of the people we knew because he was a senior when we were freshmen. So that means like we would we might have seen him. We might have seen him, but he also would like know juniors Uh knew at the time and Uh stuff like that. So I thought that was pretty cool. But I brought him up because he he was the leader of it was called the Chemi Car Club. It was for chemical engineering and basically at USC. Yeah, Yeah. and you basically just made car like chemical fuel for tiny cars and Mm -hmm. see how far they go. Yeah, I mean that stuff is cool, and I think the reason why I want to join one of those clubs is like it's just another way to like actually do something with the knowledge. Yeah. That's what's the most important thing to me. Um, not just like learning something for the sake of it, but applying that knowledge and understanding when and how to do it. Is that also why you're more interested in like group project type things? Because like engineering in general is kind mm-hmm. of a group effort. Exactly. So yeah. Projects like that kind of train you for that type of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So your major is computer engineering, right? And computer science. Oh, shit. Is it? It's a joint major. Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. Props to you. That's what Henry is. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So, what are like possible futures for you that you imagine yourself doing? Um, so, <clears throat> it's CECS right now. Um, but I mean, I still have room to change. I, I was thinking more about it and I might switch to electrical okay. and have like computer science maybe as a minor or something. Um, the reason being is that like I was just doing more research about it and it's like, the field I eventually want to go to is quantum computing, yeah. right? And so um, it seems like electrical engineering might be a better fit for that because computer engineering is more like the conventional approach oh, like right now. Like, exactly. Oh, and so I thought that might be useful, but, you know, as I was looking at like some job positions, like a lot of these are physics and computer uh, and electrical engineers. Really? Yeah. So my major is physics and computer science, and mm-hmm. part of the reason I switched to it because uh, I'm more into nanotech, but I was like interested in quantum computing too. And mm-hmm. I feel like physics and computer science, like what a great major! Exactly, it's literally both the same. Uh-huh. So yeah, I think that's electrical engineering sounds like right up the alley with that though. Yeah, and I, I was looking at it; and it doesn't seem like it would be a huge shift in like courses yeah, either, especially because I'm assuming the beginning courses are probably exactly redundant yeah. or the same. Uh-huh. Do you? Uh, how much do you understand about quantum computing? Like, could you explain um, it to the lay audience? To the lay audience. I mean, I could I could try to explain it. Let's hear it. it. Let's yeah. hear it. Um, so, basically, <laughs> <laughs> um, so at the really small scale, our understanding of physics is different than how it operates right now, how you and me talk. <coughs> um, it's at the quantum scale. Um, so, basically, quantum computers... Um, try to operate on that level and leverage 
three principles, I would say. Um, they're superposition, interference, and entanglement. And these three features allow us to do computation that's more efficient and uh, more powerful. And so, like, you know how we have, like, bits in our normal computers? Um, bits are either zeros or ones on computers, binary. Um, but in the quantum world, there's qubits, quantum bits. And so instead of being zero to one, they can be anything from zero to one. Uh, they call it a superposition. And so, like, there's algorithms and stuff that, like... <laughs> Um, that okay, go on. Make, explain make the algorithms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's algorithms. Oh, yeah, I know the algorithms. Come oh, yeah, on, I'm yeah. sure you do. Um, yeah, they, they use those algorithms and they're able to do things better than our typical computers now. And real quick, superposition, is that like the idea that a particle or an electron or whatever can be in two states at once? Yeah, exactly. Okay. I was curious. You said you mentioned interference as one of the three mm -hmm. principles. So I've looked at quantum computing before it. I, I have trouble, like, understanding why interference is important to it. Do you know? Um, I did know at the time. Let me see. <laughs> like, let, me, let me recall the information real quick. Um, <clears throat> interference is, that's when, like, if two peaks of a wave come together, mm -hmm. it creates a bigger wave, right? Yeah. And then if a trough and a peak come, peak come together, it cancels out, right? Yeah. So my understanding, I don't know if this is right, but was something like the waves can come together in a way... You can like make some algorithm where the peaks add in such the right way that the top peak will be the answer you're looking for. But I'm not entirely sure if that. I think it has to do on the algorithm level. So oh, I think yeah, you're yeah. on. I think I'm pretty sure um, they use it in um, super dense coding. I don't know if you heard about that. No. What's that? Um, let me try to remember what it was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, I know it, roughly. I think it's. Like, we're able to do things with more information. Does it ever get annoying, like, learning these high-level concepts, but knowing that right now you don't have all the fundamental principle knowledge to really understand it? Yeah. So it's like, you're saying things that you kind of just reread, or maybe, mm -hmm. like, and, like, you have some intuitive understanding, but you don't have the underlying understanding. Yeah, that's why podcasts like this are important. To yeah, get the, let's to, go. Know, um, no, I agree. I think... Uh, it's like I haven't used that information in so long. I like went on this yeah. course like um, end of senior year or like summer of senior year. Like oh, it was in between. And so I haven't like looked back at it. Was it like a quantum it. computing course? Uh -huh. It was a quantum oh, computing Oh, was it online? Yeah, it was online. That's interesting. I feel like I almost did one of those. And then it was the coding school of that. Maybe. Have you like, heard of Kiskit? Yeah, I've used Kiskit before. Oh, really? Yeah, it's actually so cool. Um, IBM has like a cloud computing cloud quantum computing like platform um so you could like run your algorithms on actual uh quantum hardware yeah yeah, yeah. that's wild bro i know because like quantum computers are pretty i know and rare it's like, right now and you get to use it in a sense yeah, yeah. so it was it, i mean it was cool to do that um i don't know if it's like a. am pretty sure that like anyone can do it yeah i think so i'm pretty just sure up, i think yeah, I think you just sign up, and uh, it's called, like, I mean, Kiskit's the programming language, I think. Yeah. I don't I don't remember if the other thing is, if you look up Kiskit. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. I remember uh, at the end of this semester, last semester, I emailed a professor who has a lab, and that has to do with, like, nanotech and simulations. To, at USC? At USC, uh -huh. right? 
because I was interested in possibly doing research. So he let me come to his, he has this class, it was, it was computational methods for physics uh -huh, research, uh -huh. right? So he had two, it was actually pretty cool because I mentioned I was interested in quantum computing. Mm -hmm. And he said he had two classes he was doing on quantum computing, like his graduate level mm -hmm. class, right? So he let me attend and I went. At first, I was hella early in the morning, so I was like drowsy as fuck. And then after, Harold, <laughs> and, and I was doing it, and he was explaining how to use Kiskit, uh -huh. and I was so fucking confused, bro. It was yeah. really interesting, and he was a super nice professor. We talked afterwards, and he was mm -hmm. showing me all his research, and mm -hmm. it was so cool. He was like super excited about all his research too. Yeah, and I like love seeing that. Uh -huh. The passion. maybe we'll get him on the podcast, <laughs> but he he was hella cool. But yeah, I just remember. It was like, and it's like kind of like the drag and drop stuff at first, right? Yeah, to make yeah, it yeah. easier. Uh -huh. And even now, I was like a little confused, but I'm yeah. sure if I took the class, it'd make a little more sense. Because like the thing is, um, there's just so many gates on the quantum thing. There's a thing <laughs> called the Hadamard gate, oh, um, which puts yeah, um, what the fuck that is. state. It puts a state into a superposition, okay, um, of zero and one. Um, and like it was really important for like a lot of the algorithms we use, but yeah. Um, it's crazy. Like, a lot of the stuff builds on each other. Like, you know, the basic linear algebra stuff. Basic, I say. <laughs> well, yeah, I wanted to ask, have you done any linear algebra classes or anything like that yet? For the course, I, like, learned some linear algebra, but not for the... Oh, okay. Not, like... Not like a, I, I'm actually taking that. Me too. Yeah. 226. Dude, Dude I, I feel like there's been a lot of times I've tried learning certain things, mm -hmm. but they needed linear algebra, mm -hmm. and then I would try taking a linear algebra course on YouTube. Mm-hmm. But the course was like a lot more boring than the actual <laughs> thing. So I was like, I'll just wait till I'm in school. Which yeah. probably was a bad mindset. But, you know, I'll probably take it. So that's good. Um, there was a... This is like before quantum. Like I was doing the quantum stuff. But uh, there was like a textbook online that a guy had like a lot of video lectures with the textbook. And that like had some linear algebra. Like it was a linear algebra textbook. So I didn't do the whole thing. But, I mean, it helped. Yeah. So like... That wasn't as boring, maybe, as, like, some YouTube lectures. <laughs> yeah. In your opinion, what do you think is harder, linear algebra or calculus? It's different, I think. I don't know. Different? That's what Like, yeah. I don't know. Uh, calculus, it seemed like it might be hard to get it at first, like, but once you get it, it's, like, it's, like, even, like, oh, calculus 2 to calculus 3, like, just seeing how the concepts transfer to, like, a different dimension, like, after oh, you yeah. get it, like, it's... I don't know. I thought it was pretty fun. That's true. That's how I felt with Calculus 3, especially. Uh-huh. Like the... They can, like, integrating under a surface and shit. Uh -huh. I was, like, so good if you use that first. And then when you get it, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, yeah, I'm fucking fire. <laughs> yeah. But uh, going back to quantum computing, would you be more interested in the... Like, creating the physical computer or more the algorithm part? Um, as of right now, probably just the hardware stuff. Like, I'm not opposed to going to the software stuff, but... Um, what really made me interested in it was the physics of it, like how it's so different from our current intuitions. Yeah. Uh, so I think I can just like access that curiosity more through the hardware. But you know, who, where will life take me? I don't know. That's true. You never know. Things change. Like I, it's not it's, it's not like I'm opposed to um, doing the software stuff. It's just a little bit more abstract. Like, yeah. what does that mean? Like, am I doing like the actual like? algorithm stuff like making it more efficient for like certain use cases yeah. like it, it's harder to realize because it, it's not like it's gonna be a quantum os like it's not gonna be general purpose the way our computers are um so it's just a matter of like maybe getting passionate about a specific problem that uses quantum and then 
Oh, in, I see what you mean. Yeah. So, like, the hardware is kind of the problem itself is figuring out how to make the hardware. Uh-huh. But with the algorithms, it'd be more specific use cases of Which, what algorithm could I make to solve Exactly, yeah. I see. Something I found really exciting about quantum computers, because I'm interested in nanotechnology, mm-hmm. is the ability you would have to simulate chemical reactions and uh-huh, stuff like uh-huh. that. Because... And I just thought it would be so cool where instead of having to physically mix chemicals and just see what happens, you can run a simulation super fast. Like, like maybe, I don't know if this would be possible in the future, but you just type in a certain property or something you want in a material. Mm-hmm. And then the quantum computer would just simulate chemicals until it finds something that mm-hmm. it would predict would have that material property. Yeah. I, they, like, that was one of the things I was <clears throat> writing about, um, if for something, I don't remember, but um, quantum simulation yeah. for like, basic elements like that's so cool like yeah. we don't have to like we can actually do the simulation like it's actually on the quantum level yeah that's cool have you heard of like quantum mechanics as a whole have you heard of the many worlds interpretation um i've heard of it i haven't really read that much about it so my understanding of it is basically like you know schrodinger's cat mm-hmm. so the idea that you know you take a particle that can be in like an upspin Super or downspin yeah. right and then let's say it's up it causes this radioactive or it's causes some chemical to spill that kills a cat in the box mm-hmm. if it's spin down the chemical doesn't spill mm-hmm. so basically the idea is taking quantum superposition and expanding it to a macroscopic object so now the cat is for all intents and purposes purposes in superposition until you open the box right so mm-hmm. the cat's either dead or alive so that's like the base that's what like most people know if they know about quantum mechanics but then the many worlds interpretation is essentially well, how are we any different from the cat in the box? So imagine someone, imagine I'm standing over the box. I'm a scientist. Mm-hmm. But then I'm in a room with no windows and there's a door and someone's standing outside the door. So now I'm, to that person, I'm in a superposition of seeing the cat alive, seeing the cat dead. Mm-hmm. So then it just keeps expanding. And the idea is that the whole universe gets like stuck into, <laughs> stuck into <laughs> this superposition, right? So I don't. So this is where like the whole fundamental principles come in because there's a ton yeah. of math to this theory that I don't understand. But mm-hmm. apparently somehow the math works out or seems to work out in which every time there's like a superposition and then it decoheres, uh-huh. for example, it, like it's an up or down state, like the universe kind of branches. Mm-hmm. So there's one where it's up and one's where it's down. And it's actually kind of funny because there's this app. Do you know who Sean Carroll is? He's a... He's like a pretty popular guy in quantum mechanics and he has like a podcast and stuff. He has this app where you basically, it's called the universe splitter. And I put the universe. Yeah. So let's say I'm deciding if I should go to the gym or stay home and watch TV. (laughs) I put the two options down Uh and then I click okay. And it sends a signal to a lab in Switzerland, Geneva, Switzerland. Yeah. And it fires an electron and measures it up or down and assigns (laughs) uh, the options to up or down. And then it sends me back a signal. It's like, you were in the universe where you stay home and watch TV. Right. And the idea is, based on the theory, there's another universe where I, instead I go to the gym. Probably a mm-hmm. more productive universe for me. Right? That was crazy. So there's something. There's basically, yeah, yeah. It's basically, I just thought it was cool. It's a cool theory. And it's interesting that if it's true, like quantum computers in some sense uh, take advantage of that idea. Like this idea that mm-hmm. these particles can go through multiple universes in uh-huh. some sense. That's the coolest part. Like, yeah. like when you think about it, it's like, what are computers were like 
even quantum computers, right? Yeah. We're just like taking advantage of like whatever properties our universe has and just making use of them and it's helpful yeah. for like that's what that's what's the cool part of like engineering uh for me. Like yeah. just being able to see, you know, I mean like we it's hard like you know how you said like there's a ton of math involved to get to the the macroscopic like someone did the math someone figured it out like there was like something to be discovered there that's just amazing isn't it crazy how we're able to figure that stuff out yeah like i feel like it doesn't have to be that the universe was or the laws are simple enough that humans could understand it but somehow mm-hmm. we're able to make sense of it that's good i mean that's like one thing that probably separates us from like other animals right yeah that's that's the crazy part we can I don't know, like, we were just able to figure out all this stuff, like, friction, like, <laughs> who knew? Friction, man, it's crazy. <laughs> crazy, dude. Yeah. Uh, damn. So, you kind of, re- sort of related. I remember you said you were interested in reading the book, The Case Against Reality. I haven't read it yet. Yeah, yeah. I haven't, I've read a few chapters, uh-huh. but I was just curious, what do you, what do you just, like, think about the idea in general that, basically, the idea is that through evolution, right, it's survival of the fittest, right? So we wouldn't necessarily evolve to see things the way that they truly are, but rather see things in a way that helps us survive the best. And the way I remember him describing it was when you're on your computer and you see like the email icon to send an email, like that's not actually there in some sense. What's actually happening is all these electrons firing and Mm -hmm. certain code firing. But what we see is this simple icon, which makes it easier for us to use the program and the idea is that everything we see like this bottle well there could be some like other underlying thing here that we're just not able to perceive yeah um based on just like the rudimentary um i agree with it uh like we're not able to perceive all of reality even if like even if what his idea is like not true like um we have different bands of uh electromagnetic radiation that we're not able to perceive like if that's like we've detected that and we don't see it so obviously there's some disconnect between what we see and objective reality right um but yeah i I think it makes sense that we're only seeing a user interface um but i don't know if that means we're not able to pry back interesting so do you because i was one thing i had get confused about with it is we're able to use microscopes for example Mm -hmm. electron microscopes to see things at the atomic scale right Mm -hmm. and obviously we didn't evolve like we didn't evolve to be able to see that just with our naked eye exactly yeah but so in that sense would that thing be real or why would we be able to perceive that even if it's through a microscope i'm not sure what he thinks about if that's the user interface as well that's a that's a good question because um i mean i would think that's not a part of it yeah but maybe his case is that even all of what science can show us is still that user interface and that we're not ever able to get to the objective like um inner workings um so yeah i don't know yeah and yeah and it's interesting because he also talked about so the main theory in physics right now is space-time, mm-hmm. I guess. I, I don't know too much about, like... The intricacies. Yeah, the intricacies. But he says that at the 
bottom level, it doesn't work, right? I don't know why it doesn't work, but he says something about, you know, there's like the problem that quantum mechanics mm-hmm. and special relativity doesn't mix mm-hmm. together at small scales. So it's just cool because he's saying that basically what you need to do is find some other mathematical model that can explain all the things that space-time explains, mm-hmm. but then also explains the problems at the bottom. Yeah. And I was talking to a professor, my math professor last semester, mm-hmm. and I was asking what type of research he does. And he says a lot of theoretical mathematicians are basically just trying to create new math that could then be used for physics. Mm-hmm. And like, see, it's like basically just you have data from physics mm-hmm. and then you try to find math that would fit the patterns that the physics data is showing. Mm-hmm. And that work just sounds so hard. <laughs> yeah. Because um, I don't even know how you'd start with that. Like, what does creating new math even look like? Yeah, exactly. Like, that's what I've always, like, wondered, especially in, like, research for university, like, when they talk about this stuff, like, um, I guess I can see it from, like, the perspective of, like, there's, like, even looking at linear algebra, like, that's a, I would see, that seems like a different model of math. Um, so I think I can kind of envision that, but, like, creating a new one, that just seems like, like, at what point do you realize that, like, like, what are you, when are you crazy and when are you actually doing, like, math, like, that's like beneficial like i don't know how to make that distinction yeah no it's yeah because i feel like a lot of a lot of mathematicians are just trying to find proofs or certain uh-huh. theorems that like seemingly have no application mm-hmm. but then eventually they'll like, come find up that they something. somehow do so yeah no that is a very interesting question i i remember you, in your ib class you guys talked about whether math is invented uh-huh. or, or discovered, discovered. Well, what's your opinion on that um whether math is invented or discovered uh i probably i think that there are like certain fundamental truths of like math like but i also think like we we create it um like one plus one equals two simple example i feel like we've created that system and like there's other math that we use that We've also created like the modular operator. What's that? Um, it's like the remainder after you divide. So like uh. six mod three. Since that's two, there's no remainder, so it'd be zero. Oh, okay, okay. But like we created that. Like I don't. I feel like it's invented in my opinion. Okay, um, interesting. So would you kind of say like part of it's invented, part of it's discovered, or? Well, like it's hard to say because like <clears throat> I think there's like. There's different ways of interpreting what's actually happening. Like, let's, like, oh, okay. Like, I think there's there's a truth, but like, we have different systems of evaluating truth, and like, like the way we do math might be different from like, I'm pretty sure Chinese math is different, but um, but those can still arrive at the same conclusions. So those conclusions, I think, are objective and uh, discovered. But, like, the way we do that, the math we create, I think that's invented. Interesting. So, like, one object plus another object, put them together, there's, like, two objects. Uh-huh. That seems kind of like just a truth. Uh-huh. But then maybe we create the... The way to do that is, like, different. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's a confusing question to me because <clears throat> then I start to think, like, really, like, what... Like, I don't know. Like, what does invented even mean? Uh-huh. discover mean because I, I remember i was thinking 
like with writing music, for example, mm-hmm. like you can create a song, but also there, there's just uh, there's already exists a combination of certain sounds and words mm-hmm. that will get the right type of reaction from an audience, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and it's in some sense it's like that combination already exists out there, and you just discover it exactly by creating yeah. it. So in some sense, I feel like it's very similar uh-huh. the two words and so yeah like i wonder if we've created that like psychological basis for like sounds that are better or if that's just like innate yeah it's weird because like i mean long long ago people probably started playing music and they were like oh that's good and then like <laughs> that, that kind of like echoed down the generational line yeah. maybe like to some extent maybe we influenced that but like I think it also makes sense that maybe there's just some sounds that we like better innately. And yeah, and that's that's what I was because I like to think things like evolutionarily. What uh-huh. would be the advantage of it? And I always struggle to think like what's the advantage of us liking certain chords that go together versus other chords that sound worse. Maybe like animals have like discordant like sounds that are like danger. Yeah. Like, maybe, I don't know, I, you don't hear harmony in nature. Do you hear harmony in nature? I don't, I don't know. know. Well, actually, have you ever heard those recordings of the crickets, like, playing their arms or whatever they do? No. Like, slow, it's either slowed down or something, like, really loud or something. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a symphony, bro. Really? It's in, Maybe it's just, like, a prank video. <laughs> I should probably check this out. But if it's true, it's crazy. Because yeah. all you hear is, like, chirp, chirp, chirp. Uh-huh. But then, somehow, it's, like. <laughs> it's crazy bro oh i really hope this isn't fake bro imagine it was fake oh. yeah that'd be bad but yeah evolution is interesting uh one thing that i feel has had a big impact on my view of thinking is the idea of free will mm-hmm. and whether it's real or not mm-hmm. i personally think it's not real or it's like an illusion mm-hmm. i was curious what your opinion is on it if you've ever thought about it yeah so I mean, Brandon and I have talked, I think he said, like, you guys talked about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we've yeah. talked about it. Um, but, like, the the thing that I ultimately go to is, like, whether or not we have free will or we don't doesn't really change how you live your life. You think so? I, I think, because, like, if, if I don't have free will, like, I, I feel like I have free will. And I think to a mm. certain extent, like, that's how people live their life. They think that they have influence over their actions and you know whatever they do if they decide to sit home and be lazy like they'll sit home and be lazy yeah it's not like it's just gonna happen yeah and like whether or not that action is like predetermined or guaranteed or whatever um whether that's not like my choice it doesn't matter i I think you have to live like you do have free will and that whatever you do matters because even expert experience like expert in my lived experience, it feels like I do, and when I do, like it just guarantees like a better life to live. Yeah, if I feel like I do. Actually, yeah, I completely agree with that. Actually, I think for me personally, believing that free will is like an illusion or whatever you call it, it's not mm-hmm. real. I still feel, I still personally feel like I have free will, mm-hmm. and I try to act like I have free will because, let's say, I want to, you know, learn a new subject. I got to put in work to do it. It's exactly. not going to happen. But one place where I think believing that free will is an illusion can actually have like certain weight, can change the way certain people live is in basically how you view like other people 
Mm-hmm. So, and ex- specifically with criminal justice and stuff like that, because let's say, well, first let me let me give a quick argument for why I think free will is an illusion. So, you know who Sam Harris is? No. So he's a big advocate for free will being an illusion. Mm-hmm. And one of the examples he always gives, which is kind of what brought my attention to it, is there's this one guy who was an ex-marine, I think, mm-hmm. and he was a very respectable guy, super. You know, people loved him. He had a nice family and stuff. And then one day he went, it was a school or a public area, something. He shot up a ton of people and then killed himself. Yeah, I know. Really intense. And the cops found him afterwards and he had a note he wrote. And he's like, I'm having all these terrible thoughts of doing bad things. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I've never been like this before, but it's hard to control. Stuff like that, right? So then they do an autopsy on him and they find out that he has a tumor he had a tumor pushing against his frontal cortex, I think, which mm-hmm. is what controls like emotional thinking and like uh, impulse control and things mm-hmm. like that. So I feel like a lot of people, when they hear that story at the beginning, they're like, damn, this guy is a pretty bad guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he shot up a ton of random people. But then when you find out he has a tumor, obviously you think the actions are still reprehensible, they're mm-hmm. bad actions. But then you sort of view this guy as a victim in some sense because <clears throat> the the reason he was doing all these things was in part due to a physical thing pushing mm-hmm. against his brain, which was stopping him from having good impulse control, things like that. Mm-hmm. So what Sam Harris argues is that this idea of the tumor is kind of a red herring because uh, not only is the tumor a physical thing that's mm-hmm. causing your brain to you think differently, but like your brain itself is a physical thing. And, mm-hmm. and all of the chemicals in your head are physical things that are moving around, which in, which, uh, determines what thoughts you will have so in some sense you want to ask what's different what's the difference between this guy that shoots up a school because he has a tumor mm-hmm. and another guy who shoots up a school without a tumor or whatever he shot yeah I don't, I don't know the details i'm sorry about that but so that's kind of when i started thinking <clears throat> like people i started viewing criminals mm-hmm. as more not necessarily pure evil or something or like having moral agency but more like as victims in some sense, because they were just happened to be born with a chemical makeup in their brain, neuronal makeup, whatever you want to call it, that causes them to do these bad things, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't get to choose the way your brain is wired up and stuff. It kind of just happens, right? So that's when I first started thinking about it in this way. And basically, so if you take that conclusion, then it kind of, you have scary ideas where it's so are we just not allowed to punish people is no one responsible for the actions blah 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 blah. Mm -hmm. and i think thinking of free will as an illusion you could still have punishment put people in prison for multiple reasons first there's uh prevention so Mm -hmm. it's kind of like like how people with extreme mental illness where they can't control impulses like Mm -hmm. you might want to lock up just for protection of people because they're more predisposed to doing bad things but you're not doing it necessary out of like just they're an evil person. They deserve this punishment. Okay. Yeah, and then, I, I see. yeah. And then the second reason would be like deterrence, which is, you know, if doing an action will cause you to get punished, then you might be less likely to do it. Right. So an analogy he brings up is uh, environmental pro- or things like volcanoes and earthquakes, things like those. We view them as things we have to stop and try to prevent and control the damage of. But we don't necessarily view them as evil things that are like, uh, I don't know, just have moral agency and are choosing uh-huh. to do these bad things. And oh. he's saying we should view criminals saying. in some sense like that. Uh-huh. So 
basically one way I think believing in yeah, tying it all back, one way I think believing in free will can change someone's thought process a bit is just in a sense like having more empathy for these type of people. Mm-hmm. And and another thing he brings up is let's say you had a pill, for example, to cure evil. Right. right? Yeah. Like no one will withhold that from a criminal that commits like evil crimes, right? Uh-huh. So I don't know. That's just kind of how I've started viewing it. And then on the, on another side, people like in terms of working hard, mm-hmm. or basically I just view if I do something good for my life or productive for my life, I tr- I feel like I'm a lot more humble now because I feel a bit more lucky. Mm-hmm. I feel like my brain's more predisposed to hard work in situations where I choose to do hard work, mm-hmm. which that's where I kind of get into problems because then I kind of get lost in like a fixed mindset versus growth mindset. Uh-huh. So I try to focus more on like the idea that I have control over it, but it mm-hmm. also just helps as like a reality check. Uh-huh. I'm kind of lucky in this situation. So you think living like you have a growth mindset, but realizing that you also were predisposed because of your neurochemistry? Yeah, okay. pretty much. And you actually kind of notice it a lot. So I started meditating because of uh-huh. Sam Harris because he advocated. I, I, Sam Harris is one of my inspirations, by the way. So that's why I talk Go about Sam Harris. Get him on the podcast. One day, man. That's a, <laughs> that's a dream. But so I started meditating. And what you start to realize when you meditate is that a lot of your thoughts or most of your – well, technically all of your thoughts. But you start to notice more that your thoughts kind of just pop up into your head mm-hmm. rather than you actively bringing them into existence. Okay, yeah. Like, like for example, I'll close your eyes. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Think of an animal. Okay. All right, what's the animal? Dog. All right, why did you choose dog? Because I saw a picture of a dog. <laughs> okay, so basically the all of your thoughts kind of have some – like cause from it like, like you have no like you didn't control yourself seeing the dog and maybe uh-huh. you did maybe you were like okay i'm gonna search a dog right now uh-huh. but it's like where did that thought come from to see the dog and maybe it came from you saw a dog outside uh-huh so basically all these thoughts can be brought back to some cause that you had no control over mm-hmm. and even the thoughts themselves are coming from like neuronal chemistry uh-huh. in your brain i always say like Neuronal chemistry, like I know what I'm talking about, but basically, <laughs> basically just physical process in your brain yeah, are it, causing yeah. the thoughts to arise. So yeah, that's kind of how I think about it. Sorry, I went on a bit of a tangent, but I find the topic very interesting. Yeah, yeah no, I agree. Um, I agree on like how like we don't control all the thoughts that come to our head. Like um, a lot of like I don't want like self help. Like a lot of these like um, fields of thought, um, they're like whenever you have like a bad habit or like whenever you're like self-degrading it's usually not that you yourself have those like bad thoughts about yourself but that someone else introduced those to you and and so that's how they got like stuck in like the bottom of your like unconscious and so like whenever you have those thoughts it's like again randomly appearing randomly um bobbling up yeah yeah Yeah, i i've noticed that i feel like a lot of your thought processes are I don't know if I should, it's like subconscious is the right word, but kind of automatic. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of self-help stuff kind of tries to show that if you want to fix these things, you have to consciously think about them mm-hmm. until the new thoughts become automatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, speaking of the new thoughts becoming automatic, there's this uh, Twitch like therapist, not therapist. Um, I think I know. Is it healthy? healthy gamer? Gamer. <laughs> I love that dude. <laughs> 
Well, I watched him so much. Yeah, me too. That's actually so funny. Yeah, dude. I'm actually hilarious. Okay, he's, he's crazy cool, bro. Yeah, I like him a lot. Uh, yeah. uh, he was talking about um, one of the, like the one of his meditation videos. Um, there was this thing called a sun cup or something. Um, it's like a or a mantra. It's something like that, but it's like a affirming thought. Like um, I don't know. I'm like I'm giving an example like. I'm worthy of a break or something. I don't know. Just like something that like can help you. Yeah. Um, and so during your um, meditation practice, he says like repeat those. Um, and so that's an attempt to like consciously put good thoughts into the unconscious. So like those things bubble up and are positive. Oh, so the idea is you just keep repeating it in your head consciously until it kind of becomes more. I don't know if it's like second nature. It's specifically during that uh, meditation. meditation. Do you meditate at all? Um, not regularly, but sometimes. sometimes. The times you have, have you felt like different afterwards? Um, I felt like calm in the moment afterwards, but I haven't had like a huge effect. Though I do believe in like yeah. meditation. I think if I practice it more, uh, it'll I'll gain better results. Yeah, I start. I think. It was during COVID, so it was not last December, but the December before. I started doing it for 20 minutes every day, right? Mm-hmm. And it's really hard because, I, I agree, you feel kind of something right after, mm-hmm. but it's really hard to start seeing long-term effects. But I feel like I'm just now starting to see them a lot more. Mm-hmm. For example, when I get angry, I can kind of reckon... So before I would get angry and just be like, okay, well, I'm, my thoughts are angry, so I should be angry right now. Uh-huh. So I kind of just do what my thoughts are saying. But now I can kind of... It's like I see the thoughts from a third-person perspective. Yo, I think like you're separate from your thoughts in yeah. a way. I think I can understand that. Yeah, it's so cool because I'll see I'll see the thoughts and be like, okay, realistically, right? Is it worth being angry about this thing? Because sometimes it is. Like maybe a friend does something that mm-hmm. is disrespectful, and maybe staying angry is the wrong word. But like, is this something I should do something about, or is it just a silly thing that mm-hmm. is going to ruin my time when it doesn't have to? Mm-hmm. So I'm able to do that calculus a lot more in my head. And, like, it's, it's actually helped me a lot when, like, hanging out with friends where I feel like I could have just been, you know, like a fucking annoying person. <laughs> and instead I was like, you know, I'm going to let it go. And then it yeah. ends up being a good day. Um, yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's I think it brings it back to, like, um, like, in some ways to, like, how we experience things. Like, we have all these sense perceptions. It's like, it, uh-huh. like, brings you back, like, one step behind it. Yeah. Like... Um, I don't know if I have a good example. We can move on. Okay. Yeah. No, but I see what you're saying. It's like just recognizing that you don't have to agree with all your thoughts because mm-hmm. some of them are just random. Mm-hmm. And recognizing that, I don't know, you could just have a bit more. But you could separate yourself. That's yeah. the big thing. Like in one frame, you are your thoughts. Like that's how you feel. In another frame, you could go back one layer and be like oh that's just yeah exactly it's it's hard it's it's hard to explain but i know exactly what you're talking about yeah once you once you like experience it it kind of makes sense Uh uh uh-huh yeah yeah no that's cool that's cool uh speaking of Mm self-help i know you said you like read some self-help books Mm -hmm. like maybe you're on a journey of so i was just curious like how is actually reading the books have helped you in your life um like have you implemented anything in your life recently that you feel like has improved 
One thing I implemented was morning pages. I don't know if I told you about no, that. No, no, what's that? Uh, morning pages are like, uh, it like right after you wake up, um, you would write three pages of uh, freehand and uh, get all your thoughts out, whatever you're feeling. Um, and so it's a technique to help reduce writer's like block. Oh, really? So, yeah. But like, even if it's just intended for that, I think it... It's similar to journaling and how you, if you just get your thoughts on the paper, like you don't have to worry about those thoughts anymore. Like you just, you know, so that's helped me in a more like a personal sense. I've been doing that like consistently. Really? But, like, and you I'm do just, it right when you wake up? Or like it in the morning? So this is the thing. I, I, I realized that like, you know, life happens. So sometimes you might, um, you might miss it in the morning, but I, I try to do it like whenever even if it's like 30 minutes to the next day like 11 30 oh, okay, okay. I, I prioritize it that's so smart I, yeah just so the like maintaining habits consistency is really important to me yeah and i think a lot of self-help research would say the same yeah that like you have to be consistent so like i just try to keep the streak yeah, yeah. this dude streaks are so powerful i realized mm-hmm. like my reading streak i have on my phone How, like, what reading, are you at right now uh, are you up it's like 800 something days i know and basically what happens is at first i even try to get a streak i just found the book that i really like Mm -hmm. but then as the streak gets keeps getting bigger i know like the day i lose the streak is going to be much worse Mm -hmm. so it's just it's that's like a fear of like (laughs) losing the streak which i don't know is the best motivation but it's working see this is the thing um it's like the same thing with ar how they used to say like it transfers intrinsic motivation to extrinsic Mm. so like Forcing yourself, it's a good thing to force yourself to do things you don't like. If but like, um, especially if you're trying to learn something, I think you need to also find a reason that's like personally enjoyable. Yeah. Well, yeah, I agree. I think so. I've been. I think I'm out of I've been doing these contracts where I basically write down oh, something yeah, yeah. I want to do by a certain deadline, and then I give it to Henry for mm-hmm. someone. And I'm like, if I don't do this by this time, I got to give you 150 bucks, something like that, right? And I feel like kind of what you were saying, like the intrinsic and extrinsic. So I have an intrinsic motivation to do this project because it's something that will help me towards mm-hmm. my future goals and I kind of like doing it. Mm-hmm. But I also know like human nature wise, there's just times where I want to procrastinate or mm-hmm. I'm very, it's very, if I don't have a deadline, I'm just, I feel like I have an infinite amount of time exactly, so I just yeah. put it off, right? Mm-hmm. So having that extrinsic motivation as well with the contract and like mm-hmm. losing money from it, I think it's like it, with intrinsic motivation really helps me exactly. actually get it done. It's, it's the with part that's like yeah. super... Because like if you're just relying on extrinsic, that's how that's how one burnout happens. And then at some point, maybe your goals, whatever, divert. Like it doesn't yeah. align anymore, right? So especially in like reading, learning, like if you're just doing it for the extrinsic motivation, it... It kind of mo- not motivates you, but like it kind of encourages like um, shallow learning. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, that's actually yeah, it happens with me when I'm reading sometimes. Mm-hmm. Where I'm just reading it, and then I, ten minutes go by, I'm like, "What did I just read?" Mm-hmm. So now I have to go back. Yeah, yeah. So you definitely have to have some t- sort of intrinsic motivation. I uh-huh, think, uh-huh. but I think it helps. Help. Definitely yeah, helps. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what was it? Oh, so. I had a question for you because I've had this problem a lot. I talked to Henry about it and I'm mm-hmm. curious if you have where 
me and Henry both like get interested in a lot of different things Mm -hmm. or like we'll start a project being like, okay, I'm really excited to do this. Mm -hmm. And then a week goes by. Mm -hmm. And then while I'm doing that project, I'll find something else that's really interesting. And then I'll start to worry. It's like, well, maybe this is the thing I'd rather be doing than this. So then that prevents me from like ever finishing a project. I was curious if you ever have that problem. So, or if you're more like, you know what you want to do. You're just focused. I've had something similar. I would say like, um, I don't know. Instead of like, I feel like, uh, what you're describing is like different different projects, like splitting. I don't know. I'm using this analogy of splitting. Okay. I have like uh, I usually have like loops. Like um, I'd be like, I want to. This is an example. I want to get a job. So like, I just want to get a job, right? So I want to get a job, but then I'm like, oh, but I want to get experience, so I'm a better applicant for this job. So I'm like, then I go into this loop. Oh, I see. So I have that. Um, but I think I, uh, I resonate with like losing interest after some time. Like that happens. I, it happens to me a lot when I don't have a clear path on like yeah. what to do. And when it's abstract, it's hard. Like when you don't, when you don't know what the next step is, it's really easy to get dismotivated. Um, especially when it's like, I don't know, for me it was programming stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I have a vision for this product, but, like, making the product roadmap and not having a product roadmap kind of, like, makes it hard to fully execute that project for me. I see. So, you're saying if you have more of the long-term plan down, mm-hmm. whether it's, like, a two-month project or, like, maybe five-year goal plan, I don't know. Yeah. Like, just if you have, like, more structure, future structure, you're more likely to do it. Yeah. Because it's just less, like, thinking about what to do and more just how to do Doing it. it. Yeah, yeah. I see. That That makes a lot of sense, actually. And I think that's also, like, that applies to learning as well, I think. When you're just learning something and you don't know how it ties into, like, the field at large or, like, how to apply it. Like, it's, it's easier to go for a shallow understanding rather than a deep understanding. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it also kind of can go back to the whole intrinsic motivation because, mm-hmm. like, let's say you're just learning it because you think it'll be useful to learn. That's, mm-hmm. like, kind of intrinsic motivation. But I think it's also, like, coding, for example, at least for me at some points, I think that could also count as extrinsic motivation because part of the time my motivation would be, well, I want to do this for my career, mm-hmm. and I know coding will just be important in general, mm-hmm. so I should learn coding. Yeah. In some sense, that's, like, an extrinsic extrinsic pressure because it's like i feel like i have to learn it for this type of career mm-hmm. and maybe that's like that's probably why they always say project-based learning is very good because yeah. if you have a project you're interested in then it becomes more intrinsic because mm-hmm. you just have a internal desire to do that project yeah you're interested in it. yeah i i feel that but i do think it is certain like it's some to some extent extrinsic but like <clears throat> maybe it also is intrinsic because like it's part of, like, your goals. Yeah. Like, those are, true. like, s- still part of, like, you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Have you found coding, like, interesting? Or is it kind of just, like, a chore? Uh, I think I've just never found, like, a project mm-hmm. that I've wanted. Like, I felt... Or, like, the projects that you can do at the beginning are very, like, small projects. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and like, I, I'll, I guess I'm just impatient, maybe. But I've actually got pretty far in certain online coding courses. Mm -hmm. And then basically what happens is, so I learned a web development course, like Uh trying to make, I remember I made some game where you just add numbers Mm -hmm. and 
C3. I think you showed me one. Yeah. yeah. So that was like the farthest I've ever gotten in an online coding course. Uh -huh. And what happens is I was actually enjoyed doing it a bit, but then I start getting worried because I'm like, well, am I wasting time learning this? Because at the time I was interested in AI, right? Uh -huh. So am I wasting time learning this where instead I should be learning Python because that seems to be what I should be learning for AI. Mm -hmm. So then I would like switch to that. And then I don't remember specifically what happened, but I think I got into nanotech. So like I, I get decently far through the AI course and I'm like, oh, but maybe nanotech's the thing I want to be doing. Mm -hmm. And basically I just, I never give myself enough time to finish a project before I switch on to a new thing. Mm -hmm. And I think it, part of it comes from a fear that I'm wasting time. Mm -hmm. And I actually, do you know who Jordan Peterson is? Yeah. See, have you heard of his self-authoring course? So it's basically this course where you write down, it's like a lot of writing. You write down your present faults, your mm -hmm. present virtues, your future plans. And the whole idea is that writing all this stuff down just makes your life less uncertain. Did you do this? I did part of it. So I did the faults. And um, one of my faults was, uh, I think it was something about like not committing to things. Mm -hmm. And I think it stems from a, basically what I said earlier, it stems from a fear that I'm wasting my time doing this. And one of the things I try to write down to get over this fear, I guess, is First, finding out something in what I'm doing that will be applicable to most things. So, mm -hmm. for example, the AI coding course, maybe if I don't end up doing AI, the coding itself is useful to learn anyway, right? And then mm -hmm. also just the problem solving, like thinking, analytical thinking skills from doing coding will be will help transfer to other things. Mm -hmm. So that's one way I try to counteract it now. And then another thing, going back to the contracts, is I said I never give myself enough time to like finish something, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking in the future when I try to learn something new, I'll give myself a set period of time. So maybe at first it's just a week to look into the topic. And if I could sustain interest for a week, like maybe I write an article on it, right? Mm -hmm. If I sustain interest for a week and feel ready to give like a longer time commitment, then maybe I'll do another contract where for 30 days I'll finish a project related to this field. Mm -hmm. So then maybe around day 15 – I'll start to get that sense like, oh, but there's this other field that I'm interested in. I'm kind of getting bored. Uh -huh. But because I have the contract now, I'll be like, okay, well, I only have 15 more days. I just got to finish this project. Mm -hmm. And then if I, at the end, I still decide that I don't want to do it, then I could switch. Yeah. And I think like just making bigger increments of time commitment will help with that whole just like never finishing anything. Mm -hmm. So like when do you know whether or not like that's something you want to pursue? Like is it – is it the next project that will tell you? Like if it's in the same like realm? I, yeah, I see what you mean. See, I'm not entirely sure. I think because I think part of the reason I get bored of something is because I don't make progress fast enough or I mm -hmm. plateau or something. Yeah. And I think if I think with the AI thing, for example, I mm -hmm. I remember I created some uh, like facial recognition thing. It was, was very cool. it was very rudimentary. <laughs> I, it said I basically just memorized the code they taught me. Yeah, for the yeah, thing that like teaches cats or dogs and uh -huh. then switched it the data set. Uh -huh. But it still felt cool to learn. And I think part of it is if I finish these projects, I would probably have a more sense of interest in it and like satisfaction because I feel like I did something with it. Mm -hmm. And so I think just having these goal marks to finish projects, but also give myself a leeway where it's not so much of a commitment where if I truly end up not liking it, I'm stuck with it. Yeah. Well, I guess my first thought is, is like, is, I guess like, is that a realistic expectation that you're going to be in love it, with it like a hundred percent of the time? Like, I mean, I, That's a good point. 
I, I definitely don't, don't think so. Yeah, me either. But like, so I guess factoring that in, like, at what point do we like? What point? Like, it's it's hard for me to think. At what point do you just like abandon ship? I see what you mean. Yeah, I've been I've been actually thinking about that too because. Part of me just wants to be like, finally be like, okay, this is the thing I'm just going to get good at. Uh And I think currently I found that Mm -hmm. with nanotechnology because it's a pretty, right now it's a pretty broad field, but it's also specific enough for like my age at the age I'm at where I could like explore stuff and then get narrower and narrower as I get older. So I feel confident with that. It's a tough question though, because it's... You're, I feel like a lot of people would get like get scared that they're doing something that they're not going to end up liking, right? Uh-huh. But at the same time, you need to make kind of what you're saying, where you need to make a decision eventually mm-hmm. to get good at something. You can't just keep switching every once in a while. And that's yeah. kind of why I started the podcast, actually, because since I'm interested in other things, like I'm really interested in philosophy, for example. Mm-hmm. But I know I'm not going to be able to become an expert at everything. And I feel like starting the podcast is a way for me to... Get to experience, yeah, sample, experience the other things I enjoy while also getting to do do something else that I can get really good at, which Uh is like my major in nanotech. Uh I don't know. What do you you think about that? Do you feel like your path, do you feel like you have one path that you're kind of set on right now? And do you see yourself ever changing it? And if so, like what would be the reason? Things like that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's like one path that you can, like there's like many different paths and I, I i don't really have the like i said it's not like my paths diverge i have like the cyclical problem mm-hmm. so it's like i don't encounter the um whether i'm like making the right decision my kind of thinking is like it's not like i think i've decided that i want to do this project and i'm good with it it's a matter of finishing the project but not not because I want to do something else, but just because I don't have the knowledge to finish that project. All right. That's you, like, that's what my deterrence is. Do you feel like you take on projects that might be a little too ambitious? Okay. For sure. And I think, um, working on, like working on that for me is like important, but like, um, I mean, I, you just have to trust yourself at some point that like, yeah, you It's kind of scary. I yeah. mean, it is scary, but like, I, I feel like that's the whole thing with like taking risks. Like, like a lot of the people who, a lot of the people who we would say made it probably also had like the similar mindset of like, am I making the right choice of being on this path? Yeah. And I don't think it matters which path you're on as long as like you're making consistent effort towards it. Yeah. You're, like you'll kind of find your way, I think. Do you know who Mark Manson is? Mark Manson. Have you heard of the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck? <laughs> I feel like I've heard of it, but I've yeah, never It's a very it. catchy title. Yeah. But basically... Uh, kind of what you're saying where at one point you got to just trust yourself he actually says that a lot of people feel like choosing a path decreases your freedom because then you're stuck to that path uh-huh. but i kind of like the perspective you put on it where well in some sense you also increase your freedom because by choosing one path you're no longer thinking about which path you're going to take mm-hmm. but rather you can now focus your energy on just doing good on that path mm-hmm. which when i heard that i like kind of like, when I made the decision where I'm like, okay, I'm just going to try to do nanotech for a while. Like, make it my thing. Was that, like, an official thing, like, in your head? It was more just... Well, so when I got into college, I was actually... I used to be interested in film in middle school, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nick Meth. 
Awesome <laughs> film. Uh, but I was I was into it, and then I kind of lost interest in high school. And then annoyingly, but but it was good that this happened. Where in March, going into college, I started like discovering an interest in it again because I had to edit some video for class, and I really liked doing it. Mm-hmm. So then I filmed a video during the summer with my friends. And so then I was at a roadblock. I was like, well, do I want to do physics and all this stuff that I was currently going to do? Or do mm-hmm. I want to do film? Two totally different Two things. Two totally yeah. different things, right? There were literally points where I was seeing if it was possible, like double major in film and physics. But not possible? It might be, but oh, okay. you also got to realize USC's film school is like the top or uh-huh, one of the top. Uh-huh. So it's like you're working all the time. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. basically it was really stressful because any work, any time I would spend doing work on one thing. I would like one of the paths I would feel like, oh, but what if I end up not doing this and it just feels like a waste of time, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. switching back and forth. Yeah, yeah. Luckily for me, being at USC and like seeing the film studio, I took a few like two film classes, mm-hmm. nothing super rigorous, but just like noticing the way I felt in those classes compared to the way I felt in my physics classes, mm-hmm. like as hard as those physics classes kicked me in the ass, mm-hmm. I like just enjoyed the like intellectual endeavor of learning it a lot yeah, more. Yeah. So I think it helped me more solidify my decision where I'm probably going to go down the more like STEM uh-huh. physics type route. But I forgot where I was going with this. But basically, it felt it felt kind of freeing at that point because then it's like, okay, I don't have to like worry about this film thing anymore. Mm-hmm. If I do do anything with film, it'll be like kind of just for fun, like a hobby thing right now. And I, maybe in the future, the interest will come up again and then I'll have to struggle with it. But right now, I feel pretty secure. Mm-hmm. So I actually remember I was like talking to my mom. I was like, I finally feel like, you know, I feel secure with this. And she's yeah. like, oh, nice, nice. Yeah. So that was pretty nice. And actually with that story, I think there's also a lot of value in exploring different things. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. if I maybe if I didn't take those film classes, I would always be thinking like, oh, what if? Yeah. yeah. Always like think. Because you, I heard we're pretty bad predictors at knowing what we're going to like without yeah. like experiencing <laughs> things. So yeah, I don't know. What do, you, what do you think about the whole idea of exploring different um, tasks? No, I think that's really important. Like, you're, how, how will you know if you like something? Like, even with food, bro, how do you know, like, you like a food before you try it? Yeah. Um, so, I think there's value in exploring things. And, like, specifically with your scenario, when you were talking about, like, this might be a tangent, but... Uh, no worries. Like, what, do you, what are your thoughts on, like, the arts? Like, do you, think, do you think there's value in going to schools for the arts in terms of, like, studying it? Or do you think there's a lot of... Because, like, my perspective was, like, if you ever are in something creative, just, like, pursuing it, like, even outside of an institution is, like, I would say more valuable. Yeah, I've thought about that a lot, too. I used to be, like, I used to be strongly on that mindset, and I still kind of am. I guess the one thing, I think school would be useful, first, if you have the money to afford it, of course. Uh Like, if you're paying 100000 for a film school, when, like... You know, you could be paying a hundred thousand to make a film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's that. Maybe the quality of the school. Like, if you're going to a really good film school, it might be an opportunity you might not want to pass up, mm-hmm. assuming you have the resources. But a big thing I think is, are you the type of person who can do a project like all on your own, keep yourself motivated to make films mm-hmm. without like having deadlines or classes? Because if that's you and you feel like you can do good at that, then I think. That's one reason to not go to film school. Or that's yeah. one reason, maybe not not to go to film school, but one reason where you could not go to film school and succeed. Mm-hmm. So if you're one of those people who is like more, like kind of going back to the extrinsic motivation where you kind of need a lot of extrinsic motivation as well, school could help because it's structured. 
And then it's like, I heard some, I actually heard someone say it's like one of the benefits of the USC film school is just that you're constantly making films where you might otherwise not be. Yeah. And then another thing, a big thing is like connections. So if you also those people, yeah, yeah, exactly. So if you're good at meeting people on your own and like getting people to be in your films and maybe or like whatever art you do, yeah, this, yeah. like if you're being like an artist where it's more solo, maybe this doesn't apply as much. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean like knowing people though to get yeah, you yeah. places is still important. So I would say basically it's just, if you're good at the things that school provides without school, mm-hmm. then it probably would be, you probably better could, not to. Yeah, 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 probably better not to. But if you feel like you're at the point where you would kind of need the hand of school to kind of guide you. Uh-huh. And then also, like, school teaches a lot of, like, good things about art, I'm sure, right? Like, mm-hmm. you got experienced people, like, judging your art. Mm-hmm. Basically, it just comes down to, are you able to get all this stuff on your own? Or would a school just make it more organized and easy for you? It's mm-hmm. kind of how I view it. What about you? Yeah. I, I guess I didn't think about, like, just being at a school brings you with a lot of other creative people. And, like, that might be yeah. hard for people who, like, I don't know, if you're, like, in rural Alabama, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, maybe going to a city or, like, a more urban area is better. So, I do see, I think I, I think initially I was a little bit more on the not school, but, like, it probably, there's probably some advantages to doing it in school for that purpose. But also, like, you were saying how, like, um, I mean, this is off the off the podcast but you're seeing how like you had to deal with a lot of permit stuff oh yeah like i feel like schools would have like i feel like to some extent schools also bring in a lot of resistance if you're yeah i see what you mean like Like, sorry go on uh like i don't know um maybe there's some certain requirements you have to take that you otherwise wouldn't have to take or just something like i feel like schools they can bring in a lot of value, but they can also bring in a lot of stuff that's not necessarily all you want to do. And um, that might hurt what your other endeavors are. No, that's a really good point. Like, schools might get give you certain restrictions for, like, what you have to film or create. Mm-hmm. I know at USC, there's a ton of restrictions on what you can have in school-based films. Mm-hmm. Like... You can't have any type of weapons. Mm-hmm. I think you got to get permits for like candles even. Like candles? I think it's pretty – I think you can't have bikes or maybe you'll have to get a permit to have a bike because like yeah. all of these like safety precautions. Uh-huh. The thing about the permits, uh, I think – at first I didn't understand the value now. I was like this is really annoying. They say that it's because in like professional films, you're always having to get a shit ton of permits so they mm-hmm. kind of train you. So I get – I see the value in that. But um, – yeah, the, like the restrictions as a whole, though, in terms of like classes giving you certain guidelines on what to make and stuff, where instead you want to yeah. create your own thing. I see how that could also be a bit of a hindrance. Like, like say you want to be a director, like would a director be the person doing those permit stuff, or is that a different job? You think? I don't. I think it. My guess would be a producer. Uh-huh. I'm sure as it as you get bigger, a bigger crew, it gets more specialized. Or like uh-huh. maybe you even have persons for specific types of permits. Yeah. I'm not sure. I also know that USC. I, someone told me that any film you make for USC, like, they own the rights to Ooh, yeah. Isn't that wild? So, like, I think if you win money from a award or something. They get the money? I could be wrong. I don't want to be... Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't disparage. <laughs> don't, but that's what I heard. Like, um, someone was like, if you ever make a film and you think it's a really good idea, don't make it for the school. Make it for yourself. I think uh, the same thing applies to, like, um, you know, he has those things called maker spaces. Do you know no, what's that? They're basically, like, spaces. Um, there's some in the library. Um, but 
you can just build stuff in it. Like, um, there's a 3D printer in one of them. Whoa. I think there's like a recording studio. Oh shit, that's cool. In a makerspace, right? And I think the same thing applies where it's their property. Like, right, so if, anything you make in the makerspace. Yeah. So if like Damn. you make the next thing, like who knows? Dude, but that'd be crazy. I also think like having those things are also good though, because yeah, yeah of people who don't have access to those resources, like if you don't have a 3D printer, I don't have a 3D printer. I've never used it. Yeah, printer, but. There's certainly value in them, but, like, I could see how, I don't know, something might go wrong. Yeah, so, yeah, there's definitely benefits for going and not going. I'm not, all I know is if you want to do something in STEM, mm-hmm. probably a good idea to go to college. It seems yeah. to be. Or at least, like, especially if you want to do research of any kind. See, this is the crazy thing. There's this guy, um, I don't know, have you heard of Impact Theory? No. There's, there's this guy who was on... Impact Theory is a show on YouTube. Um, the host is like a guy called Tom Bilyeu, Bilyeu, something like that. Um, he just talks to people who are like like different people, a ton of different people who are like very gifted in their field or who have made some really important things. And so he talked to this um, pretty young guy and he, uh, this guy literally created a, a reactor, like a nuclear reactor like without what? like the the schooling but like he just had like he, he used to email professors um he read a lot he was really interested in it and he was able to create it um so this is the thing i was talking to you about earlier like um this when we were talking about the phd stuff like how i was saying like you maybe you don't need the phd but you need the uh-huh. learning in phd like i think i've become more willing to like more willing to like put it on like the onus is on me like if i want to learn something like i think there's a lot more opportunity to learn anything now than before oh I like see. even without schooling yeah yeah i agree i the reason i said i think you should go to college is more just no i definitely agree with you on that yeah, but yeah. like i think i agree like people could i feel like you could probably learn like it's probably a little harder obviously but yeah anything you learn in a phd you can probably learn on your own now or like yeah by texting or emailing people my main thing was just like i feel like it's harder to get jobs if you don't oh, have definitely. the title yeah yeah, that's yeah. What I meant. but that I, might change in the future you know as things get especially more with spread. like cs stuff a lot uh, of people are self-taught or boot camp i mean boot camp is kind of along the same vein as college but even self-taught programmers um but yeah, I just I'm more optimistic that just the expanse of like all the knowledge that's open source and stuff. Like, I feel like if if there's a will, there's a way in that sense. Like, I think you oh, can yeah. you can. It's way more possible now than ever. But I I do think yeah, in terms of like a more realistic, more stable sense, like college is important for like especially jobs. Why are you going to college? Um, what were your I, main motivations? I want to, you know how I was talking about how not having the roadmap before? I think college gives you the structured learning um, in a way that's not as easy when you're outside. Um, and I, I, I've always loved engineering. I want to be an engineer. Um, I also think, like we said earlier about film people, about creatives getting together, um, people who are interested in STEM getting together, like I want to start something. Yeah. Maybe a startup, who knows? Yeah, <laughs> dude, it's cool. It's just like a, you're more likely to find people who have that same interest, idea. especially, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
No, I think that's perfect. Well, we've been going for almost an hour and a half. I've been having a great time. Uh, I think we're going to wrap it up. But I've been asking each guest one question at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know Lex Friedman, how he always asks mm-hmm. like the same two questions at the end, like what's the meaning of life and advice for yeah, young yeah. people. So I'm kind of stealing that idea and trying to mm-hmm. do my own questions. So basically, what is one thing you've learned in your life that has had a significant impact on your life? What is one thing that's had a significant impact? Um, probably the shift from the mindset of doing things for this like other people as opposed to intrinsic motivation i think once you figure out what you want to do and start learning start healing on your curiosity start doing things because they interest you because you want to do them that's when like stuff gets really exciting yeah as opposed to you know getting the grade doing the yeah i how do you feel like in the past, you were doing things for other people over yourself? Um, like grades, especially. Like, especially being in an Asian family. Like, um, not to say that I don't want to get good grades for myself, but there was a huge pressure on, like, getting the A, um, being a top student um, from, like, my family's, like, fam- familiar pressure. And, like, a lot of Asian Americans, I think, also have that. Um it's not like I'm not grateful for that, but it's like, I think that's limited my, um, kind of the way I thought earlier, because once you have that mindset, you're not learning for the sake of wanting knowledge and being curious. And once you defeat that, like, I think being curious, doing things for yourself is what enables you to start something different. And once you start subscribing to like the paradigm of just doing things for the grades, Sure, that might get you a job, but I don't think that'll let you innovate. Yeah. Well, I think that's a perfect place to end off. I appreciate you being on, Fahim. Hopefully, I'll have you on again soon. Mm -hmm. Hopefully. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Well, thank you.